book two chapter six of the wanderer's necklace by h rider haggard this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter six heliodore that night there was feasting at the palace and i olaf now known as michael as a convert was one of the chief guests so that for me there was no escape i sat very silent so silent that the augusta frowned though she was too far off to speak to me the banquet came to an end at last and before midnight i was free to go still without word from the empress who withdrew herself as i thought in an ill humour i sought my bed but in it knew little of sleep i had found her for whom during all the long years i had been searching though I did not understand that I was searching. After the ages, I had found her, and she had found me. Her eyes said it, and unless I dreamed, her sweet voice said it also. Who was she? Doubtless that Heliodore, daughter of Magus, the prince of whom the bishop Barnabas had spoken to me. Oh, now I understood what he meant when he spoke of another necklace, like to that I wore and yet would explain nothing. It lay upon the breast of Heliodore, Heliodore, who was such a one as he wished that I might wed. Well, certainly I wished it too, but alas, how could I wed? Who was in Irene's power, a toy for her to play with or to break? And how would it fare with any woman whom it was known that I wished to wed? I must be secret until she was gone from Constantinople, and in this way or in that I could follow her. I, who had ever been open-minded, must learn to keep my own counsel. Now, too, I remembered how Barnabas had said the Augusta commanded that this Prince Magus and his daughter should come to the palace as her guests. While the place was vast, a town in itself, and likely enough I should not see them there. Yet I longed to see one of them as never I had longed for anything before. I was sure also that no fears could keep us apart, even though I knew the road before me to be full of dangers and of trials, knew that I went with my life in my hand, the life of which I had been quite careless, but that now had become so dear to me, for did not the world hold another to whom it belonged the night passed away i rose and went about my morning duties scarcely were these finished when a messenger summoned me to the presence of the augusta i followed him with a sinking heart certain that those woes which i had foreseen were about to begin also now there was no woman in the whole world whom i less wished to see than irene empress of the earth i was led to the small audience chamber whereof i have already spoken that on the floor of which was the mosaic of the goddess venus making pretence to kill her lover there i found the augusta seated in a chair of state the minister staratius my godfather who glowered at me as i entered some secretaries and martina my godmother who was the lady in attendance i saluted the empress who bowed graciously and said 
General Olaf, nay, I forgot. General Michael, your godfather, Staratius, has something to say, which I trust will please you as much as it does him and me. Speak, Staratius. Beloved godson, began Staratius, in a voice of sullen rage, it has pleased the Augusta to appoint you on the prayer and advice of me, Staratius, interrupted the Empress. On the prayer and advice of me, Staratius, repeated the eunuch like a talking bird, to be one of her chamberlains and master of the palace at a salary of, I forget the sum, but it was a great one, with all the power and prerequisites to that office pertaining, in reward of the services which you have rendered to her and the empire. Thank the empress for her gracious favor. Nay, interrupted Irene again, thank your beloved godfather Staratius, who has given me no peace until I offered you this preferment, which has suddenly become vacant. Staratius alone knows why, for I do not. Oh, you were wise, Olaf, I mean Michael, to choose Staratius for a godfather, though I warn him, she added archly, that in his natural love he must not push you forward too fast, lest others should begin to show that jealousy which is a stranger to his noble nature. Come hither, Michael, and kiss my hand upon your appointment. So I advanced, and kneeling, kissed the augustus hand according to custom on such occasions noting as doubtless staratius did also that she pressed it hard enough against my lips then i rose and said i thank the augusta and my godfather staratius she interrupted and my godfather staratius i echoed for her and his goodness towards me Yet with humility I venture to say that I am a soldier who knows nothing whatsoever of the duties of a chamberlain and of a master of the palace, and therefore I beg that someone else more competent may be chosen to fill these high offices. On hearing these words, Staratius stared at me with his round and owl-like eyes. Never before had he known an officer in Constantinople who wished to decline power and more pay. Scarcely, indeed, could he believe his ears. But the Augusta only laughed. "'Baptism has not changed you, Olaf,' she said. "'Whoever were simple, as I believe your duties will be. At any rate, your godfather and godmother will instruct you in them, especially your godmother. So no more of such foolish talk. Staratius, you may be gone to attend to the affairs of which we have been speaking, as I see you burn to do, and take those secretaries with you, for the scratching of their pens sets my teeth on edge. Bide here a moment, General, for as master of the palace it will be your duty to receive certain guests to-day, of whom I wish to speak with you. Bide you also, Martina, that you may remember my words, in case this unpractised officer should forget them. Storatius and his secretaries bowed themselves out, leaving the three of us alone. Now, Olaf, or Michael, which do you wish to be called? It is more easy for a man to alter his nature 
than his name, I answered. Have you altered your nature? If so, your manners remain much what they were. Well, then, be Olaf in private and Michael in public, for often an alias is convenient enough. Hark, I would read you a lesson. As the wise King Solomon said, Everything has its place and time. It is good to repent you of your sins and to think about your soul, but I pray you do so no more at my feasts, especially when they are given in your honor. Last night you sat at the board like a mummy at an Egyptian banquet. Had your skull stood on it, filled with wine, it could scarce have looked grimmer than did your face. Be more cheerful, I pray you, or I will have you tonsured and promoted to be a bishop, like that old heretic Barnabas of whom you are so fond. Ah, you smile at last, and I am glad to see it. Now hearken again. This afternoon there comes to the palace a certain old Egyptian named Magas, whom I place in your especial charge, and with him his wife. At least I think she is his wife. "'Nay, mistress, his daughter,' interrupted Martina. "'Oh, his daughter,' said the Augusta suspiciously. "'I did not know she was his daughter. "'What is she like, Martina?' "'I have not seen her, Empress, "'but someone said that she is a black-looking woman, "'such as the Nile breeds.' "'Is it so? "'Then I charge you, Olaf, keep her far from me.' for i love not these ugly black women whose woolly hair always smells of grease yes i give you leave to court her if you will since thereby you may learn some secrets and she laughed merrily i bowed saying that i would obey the augustus orders to the best of my power and she went on olaf i would discover the truth concerning this magus and his schemes which as a soldier you are well fitted to find out it seems he has a plan for the recovery of egypt out of the hands of the followers of that accursed false prophet whose soul dwells with satan now i would win back egypt if i may and thereby add glory to my name and the empire hear all that he proposes study it well and make report to me afterwards i will see him alone who for the present will send him a letter by the hand of martina here bidding him open all his heart to you for a week or more i shall have no time to spend upon this magus who must give myself to business upon which hangs my power and perchance my life these words she spoke heavily then fell into a fit of brooding rousing herself she went on did you note yesterday olaf if you had any mind left for the things of earth that as I drove in state through the streets, many met me with sullen silence, while others cursed me openly and shouted, Where is the Augustus? Give us Constantine. We will have no woman's rule. I saw and heard some of these things, Augusta. Also that certain of the soldiers on guard in the city had a mutinous air. I but what you did not see and hear was that a plot had been laid to murder me in the cathedral. I got wind of it in time, and if you were still governor of yonder prison, you'd know where the murderers are today. Yet they're but tools. It is their captains whom I want. While torture may make them speak, Staratius has gone to see to it. 
oh the strife is fierce and doubtful i walk blindfold along a precipice above are fortune's heights and beneath black ruin perhaps you'd be wise to get you to constantine olaf and become his man as many are doing since he'd be glad of you no need to shake your head for that's not your way you are no hound to bite the hand that feeds you like these street-bred dogs would that i could keep you nearer to me where hour by hour you might help me with your counsel and your quiet strength but it may not be as yet i raise you as high as i dare but it must be done step by step for even now some grow jealous take heed to what you eat olaf see that your guards are northmen and beneath your doublet wear mail especially at night moreover unless i send for you do not come near me too often and when we meet be my humble servant like others ay learn to crawl and kiss the ground above all keep secret as the grave now she went on after a pause during which i stood silent what is there more oh with your new offices you'll retain that of captain of my guard for i would be well watched during these next few weeks follow up the matter of the egyptian you may find advancement in it perchance one day you will be the general i send against the moslems if i can spare you on all this matter be secret also for once rumour buzzes over it that peach rots the egyptian and his swarthy girl come to the palace to-day when he will receive my letter meet him and see them well housed though not too near me martina will help you now be gone and leave me to my battles so i went and she watched me to the door with eyes that were full of tenderness again there is a blank in my memory or my vision i suppose that magus and his daughter heliodore arrived at the palace on the day of my interview with irene of which i have told i suppose that i welcomed them and conducted them to the guest-house that had been made ready for them in the gardens doubtless i listened eagerly to the first words which heliodore spoke to me save that one in the cathedral the word of greeting doubtless i asked her many things and she gave me many answers but of all this nothing remains what comes back to me is a picture of the egyptian prince magus and myself seated at some meal in a chamber overlooking the moonlit palace garden we were alone and this noble white-bearded man hook-nosed and hawk-eyed was telling me of the troubles of his countrymen the christian copse of egypt look on me sir he said as i could prove to you were it worth while and as many could bear witness for the records have been kept i am a descendant in the true line from the ancient pharaohs of my country moreover my daughter through her grecian mother is sprung from the ptolemies our race is christian and has been for these three hundred years although it was among the last to be converted yet noble as we are we suffer every wrong at the hands of the moslems our goods and lands are doubly taxed and if we should go into the towns of lower egypt 
we must wear garments on which the cross is broidered as a badge of shame yet where i live near to the first cataract of the nile and not so very far from the city of old thebes the prophet worshippers have no real power i am still the true ruler of that district as the bishop barnabas will tell you and at any moment were my standard to be lifted i could call three thousand coptic spears to fight for christ and egypt moreover if money were forthcoming the hosts of nubia could be raised and together we might sweep down on the moslems like the nile in flood and drive them back to alexandria then he went on to set out his plans which in some were that a roman fleet and army should appear at the mouths of the nile to besiege and capture alexandria and with his help massacre or drive out every moslem in egypt the scheme which he set forth with much detail seemed feasible enough and when i had mastered its particulars i promised to report it to the empress and afterwards to speak with him further i left the chamber and presently stood in the garden although it was autumn time the night in this mild climate was very warm and pleasant and the moonlight threw black shadows of the trees across the paths under one of these trees an ancient green-leaved oak the largest of a little grove i saw a woman sitting perchance i knew who she was perchance i had come thither to meet her i cannot say at least this was not our first meeting by many for as i came she rose lifting her flower-like face towards my own and the next moment was in my arms when we had kissed our full we began to talk seated hand in hand beneath the oak what have you been doing this day beloved she asked much would i do every day heliodore i have attended to my duties which are threefold as chamberlain as master of the palace and as captain of the guard also for a little while i saw the augusta to whom i had to report various matters the interview was brief since a rumour had reached her that the armenian regiments refused to take the oath of fidelity to her alone as she has commanded should be done and demand that the name of the emperor her son should be coupled with hers as before this report disturbed her much so that she had little time for other business did you speak of my father's matter olaf ay shortly she listened and asked whether i was sure that i had got the truth from him she added that i had best test it by what i could win from you by any arts that a man may use for heliodore because of something that my godmother martina said to her it is fixed in her mind that you are black-skinned and very ugly therefore the augusta who does not like any man about her to care for other women thinks i may make love to you with safety so i prayed for leave for my duties on the guard this evening that i might sup with your father in the guest-house and see what i could learn from one or both of you love makes you clever olaf but hearken i do not believe that the empress thinks me black and ugly any longer as it chanced while i walked in the inner garden this afternoon where you said i might go when i wished to be quite alone dreaming of our love and you i looked up and saw an imperial woman of middle age who was gorgeous as a peacock 
watching me from a little distance. I went on my way, pretending to see no one, and heard the lady say, "'Has all this trouble driven me mad, Martina? Or did I behold a woman beautiful as one of the nymphs of my people's fables, wandering yonder among those bushes?' I repeat her very words, Olaf, not because they are true, for remember, she saw me at a distance, and against a background of rocks and autumn flowers, but because they were her words, which I think you ought to hear, were those that followed them. Irene has said many false things in her life, I said, smiling, but by all the saints, these were not among them. Then we embraced again, and after that was finished, Heliodore, her head resting on my shoulder, continued her story. "'What was she like, mistress?' asked the Lady Martina, for by this time I had passed behind some little trees. "'I have seen no one who is beautiful in this garden except yourself.' "'She was clad in a clinging white robe, Martina, that left her arms and bosom bare. "'Being alone,' "'Olaf, I wore my Egyptian dress beneath my cloak, "'which I had laid down because of the heat of the sun. "'She was not so very tall, yet rounded and most graceful. "'Her eyes seemed large and dark, Martina, like her hair. "'Her face was tinted like a rich-hued rose. "'Ooh, were I a man, she seemed such a one as I should love, "'who, like all my people, have ever worshipped beauty. "'Yet what I did say that she put me in mind of a nymph of Greece. Nay, that was not so. It was of a goddess of old Egypt that she put me in mind, for on her face was the dreaming smile which I have seen on that statue of Mother Isis, whom the Egyptians worshipped. Moreover, she wore just such a headdress as I have noted upon those statues. Now the Lady Martina answered, Surely you must have dreamed, Mistress, the only Egyptian woman in the palace is the daughter of the old Coptic noble Magus, who is in Olaf's charge. And though I am told that she is not so ugly as I heard at first, Olaf has never said to me that she was like a goddess. What you saw was doubtless some image of fortune conjured up by your mind. This I take to be the best of omens, who in these doubtful days grows superstitious." Would Olaf tell one woman that another was like a goddess, Martina? Even though she to whom he spoke was his godmother, and a dozen years younger than himself? Come, she added, and let us see if we can find this Egyptian. Then, Heliodore went on, not knowing what to do, I stood still there against the rockwork and the flowers, till presently, round the bushes, appeared the splendid lady and Martina, now when i olaf heard all this i groaned and said oh heliodore it was the augusta herself yes it was the augusta as i learned presently well they came and i curtsied to them are you the daughter of magus the egyptian asked the lady eyeing me from head to foot yes madam i answered i am heliodore the daughter of magus I pray that I have done no wrong in walking in this garden, but the General Olaf, the master of the palace, gave me leave to come here. And did the General Olaf, whom we know as Michael, give you that necklace which you wear also, O daughter of Magus? 
Nay, you must needs answer me, for I am the Augusta. Now I curtsied again and said, Not so, O Augusta. The necklace is from old Egypt and was found upon the body of a royal lady in a tomb. I have worn it for many years. Indeed, and that which the General Michael wears came also from a tomb. Yes, he told me so, Augusta, I said. It would seem that the two must once have been one, daughter of Magus. It may be so, Augusta, I do not know. Now the Empress looked about her, and the Lady Martina, dropping behind, began to fan herself. "'Are you married, girl?' she asked. "'No,' I answered. "'Are you affianced?' Now I hesitated a little, then answered no again. "'You seem to be somewhat doubtful on the point. "'Farewell for this while. "'When you walk abroad in our garden, which is open to you, "'be pleased to array yourself in the dress of our country, "'and not in that of a courtesan of Egypt.' "'What did you answer to that saying?' I asked. "'That which was not wise, I fear, Olaf, for my temper stirred me. "'I answered, "'Madam, I thank you for your permission to walk in your garden. "'If ever I should do so again as your guest, "'be sure that I will not wear garments which, "'before Byzantium was a village, "'were sacred to the gods of my country "'and those of my ancestors, the queens of Egypt.' "'And then?' I asked. "'The Empress answered, "'Well spoken. "'Such would have been my own words had I been in your place. "'Moreover, they are true, and the robe becomes you well. "'Yet presume not too far, girl, "'seeing that Byzantium is no longer a village, "'and Egypt has some fanatic Moslem for a pharaoh "'who thinks little of your ancient blood.' So I bowed and went, and as I walked away, heard the Empress rating the Lady Martina about I know not what, save that your name came into the matter and my own. Why does this Empress talk so much about you, Olaf, seeing that she has many officers who are higher in her service? And why was she so moved about this matter of the necklace of golden shells? Heliodore, I answered. I must tell you now what I have hidden from you. The Augusta has been pleased why I cannot say, but chiefly, I suppose, because of late years it has been my fancy to keep myself apart from women, which is rare in this land, to show me certain favour. I gather even that, whether she means it or means it not, she has thought of me as a husband. Oh! "'interrupted Heliodore, starting away from me. "'Now I understand everything. "'And pray, have you thought as a wife of her, "'who has been a widow these ten years "'and has a son of twenty? "'God above us alone knows "'what I have or have not thought, "'but it is certain that at present "'I think of her only as one "'who has been most kind to me, "'but who is more to be feared "'than my worst foe, if I have any.' Hush, she said, raising her finger. I fancied I heard someone stir behind us. Fear nothing, I answered. We are alone here, for I set guards of my own company around the place, with command to admit no one, 
and my order runs against all save the empress in person then we are safe olaf since this damp would disarrange her hair which i noticed is curled with irons not by nature like my own oh olaf olaf how wonderful is fate that has brought us together i say that when i saw you yonder in the cathedral for the first time since i was born i knew you again as you knew me that is why when you whispered to me greetings after the ages i gave you back your welcome i know nothing of the past if we lived in love before that tale is lost to me but there's your dream and there's the necklace when i was a child olaf it was taken from the embalmed body of some royal woman who by tradition was of my own race yes and by records of which my father can tell you for he is among the last who can still read the writing of the old egyptians moreover she was very like me olaf for i remember her well as she lay in her coffin preserved by arts which the egyptians had she was young not much older than i am to-day and her story tells that she died in giving birth to a son who grew up a strong and vigorous man and although he was but half royal founded a new dynasty in egypt and became my forefather this necklace lay upon her breast and beneath it a writing on papyrus which said that when the half of it which was lost should be joined again to that half then those who had worn them would meet once more as mortals now the two halves of the necklace have met and we have met as god decreed and it is one and we are one for ever and for ever let every empress of the earth do what they will to part us ay i answered embracing her again we are one for ever and for ever though perchance for a while we may be separated from time to time End of chapter 6